0: Hello and welcome to Make Language Great Again. Today, it is my great joy and pleasure to welcome Stephen Newcomb, who is a great world scholar of the doctrine of domination that is also known as doctrine of discovery. And it is my great honor to call Steve a friend. Hello, Steve. Hi, how are you? I am good, thank you. So I'm sure everybody knows who you are, but if you want to just give a brief introduction and talk about your work first.
1: Sure. I'm the author of Pagans in the Promised Land, Decoding the Doctrine of Christian Discovery and co-producer of a documentary movie titled The Doctrine of Discovery, Unmasking the Domination Code. And I've spent four decades or so researching the early origins of federal Indian law and policy um, of the United States, but also the Vatican papal documents from the 15th century issued by various popes in Rome at the Vatican?
0: Well, your work is tremendously important. And I know that after the last interview we did, there was a great response. And something that is on my mind a lot is the parallels between what's happening right now and what has been happening over the centuries uh, under the guise of what you so poignantly call the doctrine of domination. For example, Well, what's on everybody's mind right now is the proverbial Great Reset, which is the World Economic Forum's branding for the economic, social, financial, and I dare say religious reform that seemingly they want to implement globally, which has to do with AI and convergence of biological forms and uh, machines. And many people feel extremely uncomfortable about it, rightfully so. To me, it seems like that concept did not just show up, and it is more of a culmination of what our Western civilization has been toiling at for centuries, claiming that nature is the enemy, that we should either be afraid of nature or conquer it, that it's the devil, that we are not of nature, that we are in opposition of nature, which in different words is what you know, Klaus Schwab and World Economic uh, Forum people and that entire crew are saying they're using different terminology, they're using different technologies, but it seems like the approach is fundamentally existentially very similar. So I wonder if you have thoughts on that. Do you see parallels or how do you see that that, that situation?
1: Well, when I think about the Vatican papal bulls, the papal documents that were issued by various popes in the 15th century, and I think about the language that I have examined in those documents and the patterns that are revealed by the, that language. It reminds me of claims of a right of domination in all kinds of eras uh, across history, throughout history, throughout time. And what I mean by that is if we go back and think about the language in the 1452 papal document, Doom Diversus, As a starting point. And think about the pattern of thought and behavior that's revealed in the language that states invade, capture, vanquish, and subdue, reduce to perpetual slavery, and take away all their possessions and property. Uh, This idea that they have the right to convert the land, in other words, to take the lands of original nations and peoples or what most uh, folks know as indigenous nations and peoples and all of the lands and territories and take those from them and convert them into the property of those claiming a right to come in on top of them. So if we dispense with the word Christian, Christian is a cover word, but it's it's very clear that that is part of the, what was understood as the Christian empire back then. And they, at least that's what they uh, termed it, the uh, The papal bull of May 4th, 1493, issued by Pope Alexander VI, after Columbus made his voyage to the Caribbean or Bahamas and back to Europe, that particular document refers to the Christian empire, Christiani Imperii. And when we think about these patterns of domination, empire, invade, capture, vanquish, subdue, as I already said, and look at how those kinds of patterns play out today, and the behavior of the state governments of the world and the state systems of the planet. There is always at the base or foundation of every state system that I know of the claim that everyone and everything within the boundaries of the state territory is subject to that claimed authority on the part of the state. The difference for original nations and peoples, those of our nations and peoples that were existing here prior to the invasion by Western Christendom of this continent and this hemisphere and other parts of the world, is that our ancestors were living a free and independent existence and had been living that kind of an existence for thousands and thousands of years and had been evolving their languages, cultures, and spiritual traditions over that very lengthy period of time. Uh, all kinds of developments, right? And uh, primarily with the idea that based on our origin stories and traditions and teachings, that we were supposed to have a sacred or beneficial relationship with other life forms forever. And so that's the kind of the contrast to that invade, capture, vanquish, subdue mentality. Um, The contrast between those two orientations toward reality. So when we look at what's going on today on the part of state systems, these are systems of domination that are claiming a right through various manifestations of policy and law and so forth to make everyone subject to their dictates, but also these other interests, powerful, powerful economic interests that believe that they have the right vision of the future and they can uh, goad or co- uh, coerce or um, persuade people to move toward that vi- that vision that they're holding and the kind of um, future that they want to bring about. And so I think that when I look at those Vatican papal documents and the book European Treaties Bearing on the History of the United States and its Dependencies to 1648 published by the Carnegie Institution in 1917, and I read those documents. I'm looking at a grand plan for world domination. It says it right in those documents. And when you look at uh, other elite groups of people that are able to create long-range plans uh, for the future, as I mentioned, uh, along the lines of of domination or economic control, um, military control, all the various types of uh, Control—that that's the same type of patterning playing out.
0: Well, you mentioned the long-range plan, and I know that you're referring to the long-range plan made in secret, which is a civil—well, I'm teasing you with that word—a civil word for conspiracy. So it seems like history uh, has proven pretty solidly that conspiracies do exist, and we are in fact living in a place or in a state that is a result of a conspiracy from centuries ago. So, what did your research uh, teach you about conspiracies?
1: Well, I think that when people in government, small elite groups of people in government, make long-range plans for the future, they don't call that uh, conspiracy, they call that long-range planning. And that's a natural feature of of a system of government. When you look, however, at the etymology uh, and the the type of meaning within the term government, what you realize is, at least what I have realized, is that that is a system of domination. So the people that are in that system of domination planning for the future, they're working on the ways in which they're going to go about, about maintaining that system of domination over time and benefiting economically uh, from from that. So when you look at the um, Indian policy documents of the US government from the 19th century, from the 1800s, and I have that right here, documents of United States Indian policy, and you look at the boarding schools and the residential schools, those Indian commissioners had long range plans for what they thought native societies ought to look like. And that meant the great reset for our nations and peoples in their view was for our languages and traditions and ways of life, our free and independent existence to go away and to be destroyed and to have our people assimilated into the United States as citizens and then they would get the land and they would get the forests and they would get all the resources. And they uh, couldn't be accused of doing anything wrong because they were doing this for the humanitarian interests of the Native people, of our ancestors. So when you look at the long-range plans made in secret, for example, a letter written by Thomas Jefferson, to William Henry Harrison, he talks about the end of native history. And he talks about assimilating the people into the United States. He talks about they will in time either incorporate with us as citizens of the United States or remove beyond the Mississippi. And then he says the former, meaning the integration of people as citizens into the United States, Is certainly the termination of their history most happy for themselves. So, the only way in which you can terminate the history of a people is by terminating their existence. And if you terminate their existence, that's called genocide. But then, um, when, when you do that, why is he saying that that is a happy prospect for them, for the people that are no longer going to exist? They'll just be swallowed up and integrated into the body politic of the United States. So this is a private letter written by Thomas Jefferson as president of the United States to William Henry Harrison, who was at that time governor of the Indiana Territory. And of course, our great leader, uh, Tecumseh and Tutskodawa, um, his brother, they were leading efforts to oppose the United States and and block the U.S. from being able to take over all the native lands in that region of what was called the Old Northwest. So I guess what I'm getting at here is this idea of conspiracy. It kind of depends on who's looking at it. And of course, there are laws on the books uh, against conspiracy. So there must be something to that or they wouldn't have such a such laws, right? And, um, but I think what the Opinion shapers and the uh, reality shapers of the government are doing is to deflect people away from a deep examination of history and putting the dots together to understand well, yeah, there really are elite groups of people that work in this government system and in other sectors, uh, in, in I guess, cooperation with corporate interest, obviously, to uh. Create the future that they want to see, as I already said, but when you get right down to it, it's still the invade, capture, vanquish, and subdue domination terminology and ideology and mentality.
0: Well, that letter, when I reread your story a couple of months ago on conspiracy that was published in, uh, uh, in Indian Country Today, That just struck me because there seems to be a direct parallel, whether it's intended as such or not, between that version of happiness defined as termination of history and being assimilated into a culture that claims to be better for the people, regardless of their opinion about it, and the notorious line from World Economic Forum where they say you'll own nothing and you'll be happy. And that is... Pretty much exactly the same thing, but attached to different demographics and different historical contexts. And again, it even if we look at that quote: if we don't own anything and we're thus happy, but then who owns everything? Somebody must own everything and be well miserable, then consequently, but that is seemingly the same thing. Somebody no. wants your stuff. They steal your stuff, and then they tell you that that is something that makes you happy.
1: Right. Well, and the owners will own everything, including you. And this is similar with regard to Thomas Jefferson in this letter. He is talking about um, when they withdraw themselves to the culture of a small piece of land, they will perceive how useless to them are their extensive forests, And will be willing to pair them off from time to time in exchange for necessaries for their farms and families, to promote this disposition to exchange lands which they have to spare and we want. They pardon me, for necessaries which we have to spare and they want. We shall push our trading houses and be glad to see the good and influential individuals among them run in debt because we observe that when these debts get beyond what the individuals can pay, they become willing to lop them off by a cession of lands. So think about that. I mean, this is an extraordinary letter because it's revealing that these are devious efforts on their part to intentionally create debt for people and then use that debt as a means of manipulating them to give up their lands and to give up their forests and so forth so that the owners can obtain those things and yet it's being done for their benefit and there's a later part in the letter after he talks about the termination of their history most happy for themselves what people in in existence would think that it's happy for them to no longer exist But in the whole course of this, it is essential to cultivate their love.
0: Oh, wow.
1: So they're going to do all these things, but they're going to cultivate the love. So under the guise or disguise of of a loving relationship, a beneficial relationship, they're going to do all these things to, to bring the existence of distinct nations and peoples to an end. And they say they did it all on the basis of love. But they get the stuff. That's the real point.
0: That is extraordinary. And seemingly the same tricks are still being in great use today, even with debt. And oh absolutely. With 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 cultivating love. I mean, with debt, even the the financial side of the proverbial great reset is and there's more is there's a lot more to that but one of the aspects of it is putting people on ubi and making them dependent on whatever the state or the corporations owning the state decide is good for the people or good for the corporate pockets disguise this good for the people and if people are in debt and on ubi there's not much margin they have as far as their choices and that is desirable and that is sold as happiness. You'll have more free time. You'll be happy. But the love is the most explosive part of it. Because this is, abuse. Does the word abuse doesn't even start describing that. It is just phenomenally twisted. Phenomenally. It's like, I don't know, covering a child's face for the child's good, right? I mean, like, that's love. And that's what's, boiling my brain today as far as linguistic distortion, where all the things are upside down. Compassion is being rebranded as essentially abusive things are compassion. Abusive things are love. Abusive things are being good for the community. And and that is an ancient art. I mean, that letter is really something.
1: Yeah. And that's one, one letter out of this thick book. I mean, this is just letter after, you know, document after document after document of US Indian policymakers. And if I were to take you through a bit of this, you'd be amazed at the uh, horrible way in which these people had the ability to think these long range plans of the future and how many people we're talking about, just a few. We're never within, I mean, these days you have many thousands of people in government. But back then, uh, you, you had uh, quite a few people in government, but the key people in these positions of the most elite offices and so forth, they wrote long documents that detailed exactly what they were going to do in an effort, effort to destroy our languages that had been existing for thousands of years that carried the knowledge and wisdom uh, and traditions of our peoples. And just destroy them with no regard to what they were destroying, the repository of all that information contained in those languages and the the moral structure, the the values, the understandings of reality. No regard for that whatsoever. And all of it being pretty much done on the basis of Christianity. They say that very clearly that they're going to do this with the with the help of the churches and to bring about a population of native people who are simply patriotic to the United States and the only kind of national identity they have uh, will be a national identity of the United States, not their own native nations. And this was being done to children at a very young age who had been torn away from their families, from their loved ones and so forth, and put into these uh, terrible institutions with no loved ones, no family with them. There might have been some siblings there, but the overall uh, horrible nature of the treatment, the abuses uh, on all levels uh, of abuse, uh, were, were creating trauma, horrible trauma that pers- has persisted over generations. And this is intentional policy of the United States. I think if a lot of people would really get a great in- education and a lot of information by going back through these kinds of policies and realize that there is great reason to question the uh, kinds of uh, efforts of the United States to make people conform, or any state system for that matter, to conform to these grand plans that they have for us because they know better, supposedly. And uh, I always think about that when, when I see what's going on in the news. And the other thing I want to mention about the the UBI or whatever it might be with regard to the future that they have laid out for us in their in their with their wild plans is that if they control your currency in terms of let's say a digital currency and that's all you have access to and you cannot buy or sell without the use of that digital currency, but then they can just cut that off. Uh, whenever they want to, sort of like the way they suppress uh, viewpoints of various people that express information these days that the powers that be don't believe should be heard by the masses. If they can just cut you off from any means of support, then what are you going to do? And I think those are the kinds of oppressive, uh, totalitarian types of uh, systems that we ought to be very concerned about.
0: Oh, for sure. Well, one of the things that I think about a lot is how I think many people would benefit greatly if we looked into the heart, what's going on. As in, we are all subjected to that domination and do that as opposed to get attached to different talking points. For instance, if somebody says, but I love the constitution, but it's what what we just said is horrible because. The United States is, you know, this. And then, but then you're in love with a talking point, as opposed to there's a certain, almost like a certain energy that is like a bulldozer over all of us. And sometimes it bulldozes over one group of people, much heavier. And sometimes it goes and bulldozes over another group of people. And now it seems like the ambition of the richest and the most powerful people in the world is to bulldoze over everybody equally, or should I use the word equity, we should all be included into that process and be happy for ourselves. But it seems like, to me, the lesson that seemingly we really have to learn is that all of that is the expression of what, what, in your terminology, the system of domination. And really, talking points matter significantly less because different systems, ideologies and religions have been used for domination. And I think last time we talked, I told the story that to me, it is a striking story. Like back where I am from in Moscow, there used to be a specific local, well, the location is still there, but back in the day, centuries ago, there used to be a pagan sacred place. Then when the leader commanded everybody to convert to Christianity, which was many centuries ago. So that place was destroyed. And uh, you disappeared, by the way. So so that place was destroyed and uh, they built a Christian church. Then eventually when the revolution happened in 1917 and the Bolsheviks came to power, they proclaimed that every religion was bad and toxic and should be eradicated. So the church was destroyed and they built a swimming pool. And then when the Soviet Union fell apart, the Soviet Union fell apart, then the religion was in vogue again. So they destroyed a swimming pool and they built another Christian church that was to my taste a bit cheesy, like very, very pompous and gaudy, but nonetheless. So, uh, and it seems like it's the same force that goes around and does it. The same ambition that I know better, what's better for you, therefore you should change for your own good. And the ratio between somebody genuinely believing it's better for the peasant and somebody just saying, I'm going to say that, I'm going to steal their stuff. I mean, it's unknown. It probably varies from person to or one person to another. But that notion of realizing that we are all under a boot in different ways, maybe in different degrees, as opposed to at least now, at least. This second in 2021, as opposed to like some people would cut out if they hear it was done in the name of Christianity, but it's not, it's not anything against Christianity per se, because some people can have a genuine feeling it makes them better, but the state or that force of domination uses different things. And obviously Christianity was used on a massive scale for domination, just like Buddhism was like in, in asia buddhism was used in that same capacity and yeah. i like my passionate desire is for people to start thinking about the very root of it the very energy that creates that and how we how we oppose that how we eradicate it in ourselves even which might be one of the ways to fight the great reset and, and such and it is such a big existential questions i mean obviously more questions than answers but so, what are your thoughts? Well, another really simple, short, <laughs> short topic. What now? Well,
1: you know, I think that that people um, often. I mean, I give these talks a lot about the so-called domination system, and um, and I think that to a great extent, unless people have studied political science very specifically, and examined the nature of the state, or what's called the state, they may not realize the extent to which the state or systems of government are premised or predicated upon claiming a right of domination over others. And there was a book that came out in 1946 called Our Enemy, the State by Albert J. Knox. Nock. And he said, the positive testimony of history is that the state invariably had its origin in conquest and confiscation. No primitive state known to history originated in any other manner. And then later he quotes uh, Franz Oppenheimer in his treatise, De Stott. Uh I can't pronounce German very well, but anyway my best effort. And Oppenheimer said uh, that the, um, in this sense, every state known to history is a class state. And Oppenheimer defines the state in respect to its origin as an institution, quote, forced on a defeated group by a conquering group, with a view only to systematizing the domination of the conquered by the conquerors. And then he says, and safeguarding itself against insurrection from within and attack from without. This domination had no other final purpose than the economic exploitation of the conquered group by the victorious group. And if you take the words dominated or dominators and put them in brackets. So for example, uh, I, I the, the word conquered is here. And so I put dominated in brackets with red, red lettering on the word dominated so that that flags it, that helps me remember that when I see that word uh, conquered or conquerors, we're really talking about dominated and dominators claiming a right of domination over the dom- so the dominated. If you say that the conquered people, it indicates that this is a victory forever. But if you say they're dominated, then they're under a condition of, pr- of oppression, which is a temporary thing because it's a condition. And what it indicates is that we have the right to contest that, to challenge that, to develop arguments against them claiming a right of domination against us. And so if people were to understand the true nature of the system that has been created on the basis of not just the Vatican bulls, but all of the ideologies that have come along through history, whereby uh, an elite group of people, and that's a relative term as far as numbers, but a relatively uh, small number of people in an elite class are able to orchestrate meaning and orchestrate reality construction to claim a right of domination over others and then to benefit from that by amassing tremendous amounts of wealth and power as a result of that claim of a right of domination, then it seems to me that under all kinds of terminology, that at its root is what we're all really dealing with. Those of us that are on the receiving end of that claim of a right of domination.
0: That is amazing what you said about conquered versus dominated, and the temporal nature of it. That is actually quite amazing. I never thought about it this way, but you're right. Wow. Well, that's why
1: they like to use the word conquest in reference to our nations and peoples because it's as if they're taking that word conquest and that's an entire sentence with a period at the end, which indicates the end. They were conquered, conquest happened, the end, and there's no getting out of it, there's no reversing it, There's that's just it. You're stuck in that existence forever. And it's very interesting that in the papal bull, uh, well, in a couple of them, but in the papal bull of May 4th, 1493, the Pope uses the term in Latin perpetua, meaning perpetually or eternally. So in other words, domination eternally is the meaning within the papal documents. Think about this. Hardly anyone on this planet, relatively speaking, has ever really delved into those Vatican documents in the Latin and the English. And when you do that, it reveals unbelievably, amazingly um, uh, complex patterns that really, they're complex in one regard, but then when you get right down to it, it's pretty basic and and straightforward. But the way in which it plays out appears to be very complex. And especially in today's age, uh, with so much, you know, this blizzard of all kinds of information that's so overwhelming that you get into this cognitive overload and people don't know what in the heck to believe. And is this true or is that true or is it false? Uh, You know, what is the real story here? And if people are in a state of confusion, it makes it that much easier for those people that intend to manipulate us to continue to do so.
0: In the context of the papal bulls, it seems like it just proves that conspiracies exist, doesn't it?
1: Think about this for a moment, which is how many actual people were involved in the drafting of those Vatican documents? They're very complex. They're very, very involved. They follow a Roman Empire format going all the way back to the to the time of the Roman Empire and the various emperors back then. And so that kind of patterning was being used in the writing of those documents in the um, 15th century. And it wa- there weren't very many people that were involved in that drafting. These, these were very specialized skills that a very select group of people had within the church structure and the church system. And they were groomed that way from a young age, all the way to adulthood. And then they had this refined set of skills that were used. So it was a really small group of people that created these plans for world domination. And we know it was world domination because of the statement that I've, think I've mentioned in the last interview, I mention it in probably every interview, which states, que sub actuali dominio temporali, alicorum dominorum, Christianorum, constituti non ascent. And what it's talking about is lands discovered and to be discovered that that are not under the domination, the actual temporal domination of any Christian dominators. Dominio for domination and dominorum Christianorum For Christian dominators. So that's saying that they have a right to go to non-Christian lands and to establish their domination there with all the backdrop of the Bible and Christianity to support them and the authority, a presumed authority of the Pope, right? So if the plans for world domination are true in the Vatican papal bulls, why would we believe that suddenly that disappeared from the from the planet and no longer exists that's preposterous so i think that the vatican papal documents are highly instructional and give us a means of understanding a lot of what's going on today at a very deep level
0: well amazingly vatican is actually involved in this whole inclusive capitalism thing of today which is ironic and not ironic so it and yeah. they probably follow the same lineage of thinking. So, what do we have to look forward to?
1: The word for governments in Latin in the Papal Bull of May third, fourteen ninety three, is dominaciones. So, dominations is plural for governments, and domination then is singular for government. And I think that's uh, also instructional.
0: Hi, Steve. It's good to resume the conversation. Yeah, thanks. Good to be with you. (laughs) Uh, Thank you. I've been thinking a lot about some of the things we're talking about. And, uh, well, some of them are extremely long-winded, unfortunately. So I wonder... I'm going to start with a small story, or not so small story, and then we'll see where it gets from there. So when... It has been my observation, and I assume it works similarly for people and for groups of people as nations. Or it seems like the ones who have, by luck or by hard work or by a combination of that, accomplished a degree of inner peace or clarity or healing or any of those lofty words that you can describe it with. But then on top of that, usually that comes with almost an obligation to be more patient with others and actually do more work and then when people who are maybe less healed maybe when they throw tantrums or whether they're being destructive you I mean like you're still stuck with this thing where you have to be the one who is the patient one and the you know the guy, the babysitting one and at times it's extremely annoying but at the same time I have discovered in my own life because for whatever reason I have been tasks I mean, like all throughout my life, I've been babysitting people a little bit, and I'm saying it with no pride whatsoever. It's you know sometimes it's a pain in the you know in the ass, but it's almost like there's no way around it. So when you try to avoid it, I mean, if if, if, if you go to that same level, then essentially just all is lost, like no no good. And uh, but then as I was thinking about how it applies to groups of people and how much harder it must be for instance well the feelings of uh you say somebody who belongs to the original people of this land the feelings toward the invaders and uh, it must be really hard no matter how healed you are and anecdotally like something that i myself experienced obviously from a different perspective like i was in a cab and the driver was mongolian and uh, Mongolians were among the, like, in the way that they existed centuries ago. They've invaded the land of my people, and, you know, they stayed there for a couple of centuries. So, you know, the usual type of invasion, like rape and pillage and all those things. And that happened a very long time ago. And it's not like I actively think about it, but when I saw this driver who was extremely friendly and wonderful, like, I went... Like, I don't want to talk to you. And I mean, like, I obviously didn't show it and I was friendly and, you know, we had a nice chat. But on the inside, I had zero desire to interact with him. And I was observing myself as it was happening. And I mean, I I masked it. I mean, like, I didn't show it. But it was interesting to me how resentful I felt, even though that is something that, you know, happened centuries ago. And I'm sure every everybody who is Russian has a bunch of Mongolian blood in them because of how it went. But it's like I felt something and I I didn't intellectually come up with it, but I felt something and it's a memorable experience. I was pissed off. And granted, again, I didn't show it and, you know, I did not, but it's almost a part of me wanted him to apologize to me for something he had nothing to do with. I mean, like, it's like I would feel much better. So thinking and Mongolians left that land a long time ago as an entity, as a formal entity here, entirely different. And so that must be extremely hard. And uh, and like history is such a mess. So I'm like, what are your thoughts on that? I mean, like, I know that it's an extremely loaded speech that I did, but I just,
1: Well, I think that, I think that the, the memory or the thought of that history, your image of that history created an emotional response within your body. And so you're creating that, or your thoughts of that history in association with that particular cab driver created that kind of emotional response in you. And so you have this storm of activity where you're feeling emotions and thinking about that subtext of the of the interaction and the emotional response to that at the same time as you're trying to be uh, gracious and polite. I guess from what you said, so th- it's it's one of the strange ways in which being human is complicated, and I can't. Um, Think every time I look at a non-Native person, well, I have to have some kind of resentment toward that person because of some history and what, how that history continues to impact our lives to, today. But nonetheless, there is that emotional dimension to the history in terms of present day feelings about the past and how that impacts us. And I think coming to terms with all that is part of the healing process. How do we orient ourselves in time and space in a way that's beneficial to ourselves and to others? That's the great challenge that some of us attempt to embrace. And how can we work through differences and work through different ways of looking at various issues, for example? And I think that's the big conundrum of human communication in terms of what kind of patience do we have? uh, What kind of emotional responses do we have? Do we give ourselves permission to behave in uh, less than polite ways toward other people for whatever reason about the past uh, or, or present? Things that have happened fairly recently in people's lives. So that, yeah, it's, it is very interesting, but in terms of, I think the basis of your question has to do with how do native people in our generation deal with the knowledge that the entire continent has been overrun by other people that are from some other part of the world, and how do you deal with that on an everyday basis, knowing that in the bigger scheme of things, that all those injustices and instances of domination and dehumanization have occurred and in many ways continue to occur on a daily basis? And how do we come to terms with that and still have positive, meaningful interactions with one another? So, yeah, there's a lot to what I just <laughs> said too, but I guess I'm just thinking out loud in terms of what you posed to me and, and how my mind is Thinking, thinking about that and um, relating it to issues that I have in terms of, okay, how do I take all this vast amount of information that I've accumulated and then still end up being able to communicate with others in a positive, beneficial manner? And I think that's where the spiritual centeredness and spiritual grounding comes into play. That's so critical and I guess it's um, something I work on on a daily basis to not come from a place of anger or hatred or negative emotions, but try to look at the positive part of human interaction. But at the same time, realizing that every single day is a nightmare for a, uh, you know, billions of people on this planet. It's, it's, it's just a bizarre situation that humans human beings find themselves in.
0: Well thank you and oh well, so many things to say in response like what I've discovered and even in the immediate recent times and that is something again that has been my personal journey is that when you're tasks tasked with this patient patient's necessity when essentially Yes, you're dealing with abusive situations, maybe not abusive, but maybe not ideal, even from the spiritual perspective, just like, you know, somebody is oppressing you, whether because it is uh, from genuine desire to help you, for instance, maybe it's driven by something good, but it ultimately, it's not really good for you. And so dealing with that, the natural reaction is to just go all claws and try to defend yourself or try to just eliminate it and toss it out. And I guess it's case by case. If it's a total stranger, then probably eliminating could be the healthiest choice. But if it's something that is close in your circles or a family member or, you know, friend or something that for some reason you have to deal with, it is such an incredible dance that I have, like I'm learning every day and I have learned so much by, Training. I mean, like you can't even, there's no word for that. It's not even training. It's kind of you're forced and ultimately you get to a place where you can do it, but you don't even know how you got there. And it's, it's very hard and it's extremely frustrating. And it's so necessary to remind yourself that being reactive is just not like, it's justified. It's logical. You have every logical reason to be reactive, but you can't because it's not going to help. And it is such a strange, strange well, probably it is a challenge of all times because everybody carries some kind of awful trauma and we either work on it and try to heal ourselves and the world around us or like nothing is going to improve and not an ideal situation at all.
1: Yeah. Well, the, as I said, the, that is the big challenge uh, on a daily basis for everyone, how do we come together and communicate about whatever, whatever it is, and what, what standards are we using to assess our own behavior and that of others? I think looking at the way in which standards have been destroyed to such an extent, where people give themselves permission to engage in really bad or horrible types of behavior, uh, I mean, that's that's really constantly putting sand in the gear, so to speak. I mean, I don't really like the mechanistic metaphors, but uh, just to use that for a moment as a figure of speech, <clears throat> things don't move very smoothly if we're constantly um, bumping up against each other. So how do we end up being able to interact in, in positive ways, knowing that there are these controversies. And I think the approach that I try to take, I don't know how successful I am every, every day, but I try to look at it as all, all knowledge is partial. We will never have complete knowledge about anything. So we're going to take the partiality that we have and apply that to given situations but I'm constantly looking for new information, adding to the mix and looking for patterns. And then if other people don't agree with those findings or with those uh, that type of information, maybe they want to look at it a different way or look at something totally different. That's all well and good, that's fine. Um, but I think when people suppress other people and say, no, you cannot look at that, you cannot Think about that, you cannot speak of that. And there's this effort to silence people. I think that's unfortunate because how is that going to get to better clarity, greater understanding and more positive human interactions? I can't see that that's beneficial. And maybe some of that information that people are not able to express Uh, according to whatever, maybe it's a personal interaction, they don't wanna hear it, uh, or it's a government action to say, no, people are not allowed to speak of that, not allowed to see that kind of information, whatever it might be, why should there be a suppression of, of information? I don't understand that part because I think that the more information we have available to us, the better. And then we have to be the ones to sort through that and ascertain what is the most uh, beneficial part of that information or what we're going to accept or reject and what have you. But we have those powers of discernment, so why not put them to use?
0: I agree, agree with you. Well, that brings us to the topic of censorship that is strangely current right now. I mean, it has been ramping up for a while but now it seems to be completely insane. And especially what it has to do with the informed consent to the medical product of the day. I mean, do you have any observations about that?
1: Well, it's just like I mentioned, when um, people are saying that we're not allowed to see certain information or certain types of information should not be made available to people, how is that beneficial? And then what, are, what is it that they're trying to prevent people from knowing? If there is important information that people are supposed to know or, or need to know, um, we're being called upon to make very important decisions as to our lives, our futures, our families, our loved ones, and we need the best possible information to be able to make informed choices and informed decisions. And that's called, you know, having in voluntary consent, but also informed consent. And so how can you have informed consent if you don't, or make, make a decision on the basis of informed consent, if you don't have the information? And so the more the merrier in terms of the information. But if there's a political agenda, which says, no, we want people to make a decision in the manner that we think is best, whoever that we happens to be. And we don't want them having access to this other information that may take them in a different direction than the direction we want them going. Well, we're just going to cut that off and make that unavailable to them. And what if that information happens to be very critical to their health and well-being. I think that that that's a crucial question. And with regard to the medical product or pharmaceutical product that you're referring to, (coughs) pardon me, um, that's especially critical. How is it that medical doctors, scientists, people with decades of experience in the field that we're talking about, are being suppressed and silenced. There's something else afoot when people with expert information, expert experience are not allowed to disclose that information that they've spent decades accumulating and gathering in order to um, uh, drive a political agenda. They're not being allowed to spread that or disseminate that information. And then there's these slurs that are being thrown around of misinformation or or excuse me, or, oh, excuse me Dad, um, I'm in the middle of an interview here, so as I was saying, human relations
0: <laughs> <laughs> I'm in the same boat so I I, guess. <laughs> uh, <anyway. laughs> I just for a second so, I saw myself in the mirror. <laughs>
1: <laughs> so um, well, just to backtrack for a second there but if if they're not being allowed to provide that information and especially if it's critically important to the health and well-being of the people there's there's something radically wrong with that with that situation and that's what i see so and and i also see that certain people are being I guess, attacked is the best way to put it, but there are certain people who are being deplatformed and their monetization is being stripped from them and with the accusation that they're engaging in the dissemination of misinformation or disinformation. And yet, if you were to ask, well, which part of their presentation was actually inaccurate or was misinformation, especially when they have the actual document and they're showing you the text and they're going out of their way to make sure every T is crossed and every I is dotted and, and the information is right there for people to see and the links are below. People can go and review that information for themselves. And some of these people like uh, uh, the last American Vagabond and, and uh, Ryan, Ryan uh, Christian um, extraordinary communicator, just extraordinary. I mean, the guy should be given a medal, um, in, in terms of the amount of information he's putting out. And if there's specific information that people want to say, hey, that was uh, not the best study or that's inaccurate information, well, if he, if somebody's showing you a peer reviewed study based upon scientific data and scientific assessments and so forth by a team of doctors or scientists and what have you, and then the accusation is, is hurled to say that's misinformation, that's bizarre. That doesn't even stand up to scrutiny. So I think that um, we're in a very strange time and it's a time that's being driven by some other agenda. It has to be. And given my skepticism, based upon several decades of research about government systems and about the nature of the state itself, which is, by the way, a system of domination, and uh, given my skepticism about certain major industries, corporate industries, and knowing the kind of devastation that the corporate world has inflicted on the planet to such a great extent, and the devastation that the uh, governmental and corporate and church interests have inflicted on indigenous nations and peoples, I think I have every right in the world to be skeptical and to investigate to the fullest extent every aspect of what we're being told. And I don't think we should be expected to just uh, uncritically say, oh, okay, Uh, Absolutely, by all means, let me go ahead and let you experiment on me. That's not going to happen.
0: I hear you. We're on the same page. For me, strictly from the sensory perspective, it reminds me of my old homeland, almost before my time, because... By the time I was around, nobody really believed in that. People were just, you know, sometimes repeating words so that they, you know, so that they don't get it in trouble. But beyond that, nobody really believed in any of that. But before people did, and he couldn't say certain things. And then they were even actually not a joke, like phrases like, today he's playing jazz, tomorrow he's going to sell out the motherland. Like, because that's an American bourgeois-like thing, like, obviously horrible. So but that was extremely rigid and certain things if you said then obviously it was disinformation and criminal and awful and but that vibe is exactly identical to what i'm seeing around me seeing from a lot of people seeing that from a lot of people who are in the intelligentsia seat who are educated respectable you know like professors and people in similar positions and they seem to be almost the most prone to what would in the Soviet analogy would be communist party propaganda, which has nothing to do with like isms or communisms or whatnot. I mean, that's just what it was back in my homeland. And that is to me astonishing because I never thought in my life that I would live through that again as an adult. Like it is almost like very, very strange experience. And because it is so blatantly similar, even the phrasing, how I haven't read this author, but I condemn him. And clearly this is, oh, he's saying that, therefore he must be discredited, even though for 20 years before he had this like, wonderful job and credentials and research and whatnot. That is so insane. And yet that is what's actually happening. And uh, knowing the corruption of the, specific industry in question and also tech industry because they're all kind of blending in together right now. It is astounding to me why it would be considered good manners to just blindly trust them because even in this country 10, 15 years ago, it was perfectly common sense to distrust that particular industry. It was almost common knowledge that they're trying to get us to sell us whatever, and they don't care about our health. Now, all of a sudden, if you say that the, this industry is corrupt, then you must be a conspiracy theorist. And yeah, we should be wearing those hats.
1: <laughs> yeah, I, I, I meant to buy a roll of tinfoil, but I just forgot. So I'm sorry, <laughs> the, um, yeah, it's, it's, it's quite extraordinary. I think that it's important to expand the scope of the conversation To look at human knowledge generally, I think I had said that before, where if we look at the nature of knowledge, what constitutes knowledge, what constitutes uh, acceptable knowledge within certain circles and what's unacceptable, you know, I can imagine a scenario in which uh, people could say all the information that I've gathered about the papal bulls, for example, is misinformation or disinformation not true and I could actually have the documents and have the pages available for them to look at and they would refuse to look at those pages because it's not true and they wouldn't even look in the direction of the pages because they already know it's not true so therefore there's no reason to actually look at anything I'm telling them because they already know it's not true but you can apply that kind of pattern to anything. And so that's called de- denial. And if there's denial going on for political purposes, because there is a specific agenda and an objective or set of objectives that a group of people formed in secret or within their own conclave, so to speak. and uh, And they have this grand plan that everyone has to March along with in lockstep, I think that's even used in one of those planning documents, lockstep
0: indeed um,
1: then um, what in the world is going on? Well, we know what's going on. There are people that believe that they have kind of a god 's eye view they know better than everyone, and so they can go ahead and foist that on the um, the public and the populace and the world population, and it'll be all directed toward a better world. You know, when they first, uh, the invaders first got over here, they called it a new world, but actually it was an extremely old world. And you know, the mastodon bone in the Kumeyaay Nation territory, now commonly called San Diego, is something along the order of 120 to 130 thousand years old. And it shows very definite signs of having been worked by humans, um, by the Kumeyaay people, Kumeyaay ancestors. And so think about how old that is. Um, You know, our Lenape language, if I say certain words in our language, such as a hole to walk in, which is a word for love or lehaleheokan, which is a word for life force or the life spirit. Or Kikayu uh, okay which is uh, a word for ancestors or those that have departed. Those are those are just they se- they seem like random sounds or words or what have you. But according to the an- the archaeological evidence, rather, according to the archaeological evidence, our people date back in our traditional territory some thirteen thousand years. So you're hearing sounds that I'm emitting or speaking that are that old. And think of language systems that have been evolved over tens of thousands of years. It's quite extraordinary. And the language is the repository of knowledge and wisdom. It's the accumulated knowledge and understanding that people have built up over generations of trial and error. And there's tremendous benefit from knowing about that. Yet the people that came in here just wantonly destroyed, as much as humanly possible within their capabilities, our language systems and attempted to cut us off from those. And to a great extent they they succeeded by stealing our children away from loved ones, families, uh, parents, siblings, aunts, uncles, grandparents, and so forth, so that they could destroy that connection, that transmission of that knowledge. So human knowledge is extraordinarily important. I mean, how are we gonna function without knowledge? And when there are certain forces in the world that are telling us that certain kinds of knowledge are, are forbidden, forbidden knowledge that we're not allowed to have or we shouldn't be hearing and so forth. Well, let me decide. I'll decide that on my own. And no one should be suppressed in in attempting to provide information in the uh, so-called marketplace, uh, the decision-making about what I'm going to put in my body or allow someone to inject into my body. I need to know as much information as possible so that I can make the correct decision to say yes or no, or not at this time, whatever that decision might be. So that's probably what I want to say about that. Yeah. How dare you talk about the pharmaceutical product? We're here for you. Um,
0: Well, it it might
1: come to that, you know?
0: I mean, hopefully not. Hopefully people will wake up before that. I mean, like, that's my hope because they will have no... Quilms bring us there, but hopefully people will show displeasure before, before we can get there.
1: Well, they sure as hell better because uh, the, this passivity and people just going along with the program is completely unacceptable, especially if you have the databases that are accumulating the kinds of numbers of, of dead and injured that um, are extremely alarming and yet we're being told everything's just hunky-dory and safe and effective and all that. Well, where's the evidence of that? So the only way they can keep that narrative going is if they don't allow the same government reporting databases, the, the, um, um, the databases where those types of numbers are recorded, they're not gonna let that information circulate in the mainstream media uh, and on the evening news, because that's going to turn people off, and as I said, steer them in a different direction than what the planners of our future want for us. You know, so um, it's very arrogant. It's so incredibly arrogant. But I think that's the nature of the domination system: is to be able to take their viewpoint, their worldview, their opinions, not based on any real data that I can find uh, with regard to what they're claiming. I don't see that backed up, but I see people expressing a lot of, of opinions. Yet those of us that have looked at the information and have spent a lot of time actually listening to others who have gathered that information and medical experts and researchers and scientists and so forth, that what we're hearing and reading and understanding is not true that just doesn't hold up to scrutiny
0: i hear you and it must have extra weight from your perspective given you know the smallpox blankets and the history of your people in this land relatively recent history so do you have any added lens either from your research or from how you generally feel looking at what's happening today
1: you know native women there was the forced sterilization or the sterilization without consent um, perpetrated against native women in the 1970s in the US, in the United States. And that memory is still fresh. I mean, it's not ancient history, it's a few decades ago, right? And um, 40 years ago. So the the, quote unquote government, which is actually the domination system. If you look at the etymology that I've examined and uh, documented that there's no reason in the world why people should simply be trusting of a system that has a track record such as it does with regard to our nations and peoples. We have a definite history of genocide uh, and in fact that the last time we were speaking, I had that letter that I read from, from Thomas Jefferson, the private letter to William Henry Harrison, the governor of the Indiana territory, um, but without repeating that, but that, that intent to destroy our nations and peoples, which is an intention of genocide. When you have that in your history, and you've been cut off from your language and your spiritual traditions through definite government policies and millions and millions and millions of acres, actually a couple billion acres, if you take the whole uh, extent of the continent have been overrun and the vast majority of it stripped from, uh, from native nations and peoples. There's every reason in the world to be skeptical of whatever we're being told uh, by, by government officials and i think that's just sensible um it it uh, same thing with the these corporations the very ones that were hiding the information about tobacco usage and the um the kind of tobacco that was being peddled still is but not so much these days less so but um which was definitely causing cancer. They knew that it was causing cancer, and yet they allowed that to be promoted. They know that intense intake of sugar is horrible for children, uh, yet they target children for sugar consumption. All kinds of things are done for money making and for profit without regard to the future consequences to the health and well being of, of uh, people. That's just a normal type of conduct in the marketplace and within the business world, which, by the way, domination is considered one of the highest values in the business world, right? Same with sports. So uh, it, it all flips back to that. And when you have a society such as the United States or Canada and others that are premised on domination with regard to our nations and peoples, and then you try to claim that it's premised on democracy, how do you get domination and democracy reconciled? Well, it's by ignoring the domination and only talking about the democracy, that yet when you look at the case cases in federal Indian law, you'll see very clearly that conquest is one of the themes that they use to justify the effort by the United States to control the existence of all Native nations and peoples and call it the trust relationship. So, these are definite problems that we continue to be afflicted by, and um, they provide certain kinds of lessons for everyone, actually. Uh, Negative lessons, lessons of uh, uh, things that we can learn from, but also the possibility of, of a better future by not repeating those same destructive patterns.
0: Oh, thank you. It seems like, at least in my observations, is that history kind of made an ironic circle. And whereas before, the at least the official story was targeting specific groups of people, in this case, the original people of this land, as the enemy, as in, you know, dehumanized. And that goes back to our very first conversation that we had. So if you dehumanize somebody, uh, even without going into the complications of what it takes to become human in in the basic sense, if you dehumanize somebody, then all bets are off. You essentially can do whatever you want. And, uh, But now it's turning back to the groups of people who would, traditionally in the modern way of thinking would not be targeted as enemies or anybody who is dehumanized. But it seems like the same hungry spirit of domination is coming for everybody. And it seems like it would be a really good time to feel and think those things through and how domination it's not a slogan it's essentially it's almost like an energy that is hungry that is trying to get whatever it can find and throughout history all of us have been under the boot or targeted to be under the boot in different ways generationally in different places of this planet but it's the same thing and like for instance going back to the history of my country There has been plenty of domination and mostly from own leaders. So, I mean, there have been invasions too, as I mentioned earlier, but own leaders were not very nice to people either. So it was kind of a trademark in the Soviet Union, but even before, before the Bolshevik revolution, that the government was kind of mean to own people, except maybe the very wealthy. In America, the signature of the recent decades was that America was mean to external countries, but it was nice to its own citizen of particular financial standing or middle class. And But now that's all changed because it seems like no government is not nice to anybody. is not even trying to pretend. And we finally all find ourselves under the boot. And again, it seems like that would be a very good opportunity to reconcile with each other in a way that is like, sensible and sincere and not fake. I mean, not in terms of turning another cheek or any of those things, but in terms of understanding that that is the, again, the spirit of domination that is trying to go after everybody. And it's not about this ism or that ism or that system of belief or that's this system of belief necessarily. It's more it's more fundamental than that. It's deeper than that. Mm. It comes from some kind of a malaise or a void because, or, or for instance, even when people came from Europe to here, there's, there's a chance they were looking for some memory to remember something that was taken away from them centuries ago, but they were so broken, so broken that they just created this havoc and And similarly internally, so it almost comes, it comes back to the, one of the first things that I asked, it's like, we can be reactive and it's completely legitimate. It's logical. I mean, it's understandable, but it seems like within the reactive mode, it just becomes worse and worse and worse. And at best, this group of people wins and that group of people loses, or then maybe turns around and becomes like the other way but the fundamental of that spirit of domination stays unless we do something internally that we just transcend it somehow. I don't know. Like I said, a lot of things that are lofty, but.
1: Well, I guess the, the real question, one question anyway is what kind of a world are we trying to create for our children, for our grandchildren, for the future generations? And if the, that future is a, kind of predicted by the patterns that are being promoted today. In other words, if you have the standard of behavior is to suppress free speech and the expression of certain types of speech because uh, you're trying to build the perfect society. Well, how is the building of the perfect society premised on suppression of freedom of speech rather than freedom of speech? That's a contradiction. And I think that you can take that predictive nature of behavior, if you're doing certain things today and you expect the outcome of your behavior to somehow be different than the behavior that you're exhibiting, that doesn't make a lot of sense. If you plant a certain type of seed and expect it, totally different type of plant to emerge from those seeds than, than uh, the type of seed that it is, that's just, that's just unintelligent, right? And so the behavior, if we think about the thoughts and behaviors and, and so forth as being a kind of seeding of the future, <clears throat> then it's predictive that if we're engaging in domination and dehumanization, or if others are doing that toward us, Then that's going to be the kind of outcome that you will end up with. Let me give you a key example. The taking of the children was a type of planting of seeds, seeds of trauma and of destruction and devastation. Uh, The taking children and putting their tongues on dry ice so that the top layer of skin was peeled off their tongue for, for speaking their own language. The most natural thing in the world to do, or made to kneel on broken tile with bare knees until their knees bled. All kinds of different tortures that were devised for the simple uh, crime, so to speak, quote unquote, of of speaking their mother tongue. And then you say, okay, well, that was done at a certain, uh, during a certain generation. And then the prediction, of those seeds being planted, those seeds of destruction being planted is that the people in the future would not be teaching their children or their grandchildren their language because they don't want them to experience that kind of abuse and that stays with them. And so then gradually over time, fewer and fewer people learn the language. And eventually you have people like me that were raised without any part of the language at all whatsoever, not even a mention of it. And so that's all predictive based upon prior behavior and prior policies, and these were policies that were put into place through the planning, long-range planning, of an elite group of people in secret, more or less, because not everybody had access to those documents. So that kind of takes care of the idea, is it a conspiracy? Well. Uh, that depends on what you mean by a long term plan made in secret by a small group of people and so yeah it's it's all very very involved but it's it's also pretty simple and basic if you you know you reap what you sow to use that biblical concept and um so we have to really make sure that the kinds of behaviors and and uh attitudes, values, and beliefs that we're expressing today uh, are beneficial as much as we possibly can so that we are creating that beneficial future for the future generations.
0: Well, some of the things that you said were, well, to the T, the story of my people and and me specifically, although in a different era with a different set of circumstances, but I am intimately familiar with when, you know, your parents try to essentially suppress who you are so that you don't get hurt. And that is something that took me many years to figure out and, like, sort it out and try to, like, leave it behind. But it, like, it hurting me when you're talking about it because it's such a, like, thing where people are broken and then they they do things to their own children out of love that are, broken and and it just travels and then somebody has to figure it out and end the cycle and it's it's somebody i think many of us are looking in the mirror so but yeah this is this is very very tough and it seems like again the only way and another thing that is to well maybe directly related i have Discovered through my own circumstance, through my own like close circles, is that when people intake the trauma, it's completely again, it's completely legitimate. It's understandable why this is happening, but then it doesn't really help. So it almost makes sense to not intake it and to just spit it out, whatever it takes, which could take years, or it could be immediate. It could be years and then immediate. It's it's not an easy process, but that making friends with your trauma doesn't help you and it doesn't help people around you and it's just and it's very tempting because trauma is very real in a lot of people most people and wow I mean it really got me what you said.
1: Mm. Thank you I, I think that broken people try to break people hurt people try to hurt people I mean that's These are some of the cliches we hear, but there's truth in them. And so it's a matter of of how do we work on our healing on a daily basis, and then transition from coming from a hurt place to an inspired, spiritually grounded place. And it really does help if we have elders and others who have been part of our lives, who have been able to model those kinds of behaviors for us. And I think being a good, I mean, I'm getting to the age now where I don't know that I'll ever be an elder per se, but as an older person, I can certainly do my best to try to exhibit positive behaviors and and try to be that role model of positivity as much as possible uh, in that effort to to create a better future. The other, The other unfortunate part of it, though, <laughs> is that you have these People who have a completely different set of values, for them, apparently, domination is a positive. It's, they, they have no problem suppressing speech or torturing people or creating mayhem and destruction and chaos and all those types of methodologies of the domination system. It really is a religious ideology, I believe, something that people get a commitment to in somewhere deep within their being, and then they try to act that out and spread that as much as possible. So I think that's what we're up against, but I don't have to engage in domination to uh, attempt to work uh, in favor of a different way of behaving. And I think if I do engage in domination to fight domination, then I'm just adding to the problem. I'm not creating the solution. And that's the strange uh, insight that people have to come to. Because I think it's easy to come from a place of anger and lash out. And, and, um, but really, when you think about that, um, how is that going to create something beneficial simply by coming from a place of anger? Not to say I don't have that anger or haven't been there, done that. Yes, I have. Uh, so it's been that constant struggle to figure out how to transition toward that positivity and positive spiritual space uh, and, and behave from that and speak from that standpoint you know, and perspective.
0: Oh, thank you. I, I hear you. And putting it into the context of what's happening right now, well, my own conclusion as of this second is that it's almost like the best way or at least the best available way that i can think of to fight the great reset the proverbial great reset is to fight it within because it almost like that is that is one part that i can definitely have control over or some control over because and i think describing it in terms of the domination tendencies it's like when you're tempted for whatever reason, lack of patience, being annoyed, or any of those things to kind of bypass the high standard of treating others with respect. And the temptation is always there, obviously, especially on social media. But, you know, this is how we're trained to communicate in terms of, like, dominating is considered a victory. And so fighting that temptation and being vigilant in terms of just, like, not allowing yourself to bypass that standard at all. That seems like it is working against everything that the great resetters want us to, to do or to be. And to me, it is almost more significant internally than any specific technology or any specific like technological advancement that is supposed to serve the great reset or supposed to serve the essentially enslaving of people digitally. I mean, like all that is there and it's important to understand. It's important to understand the big picture, but it seems like the battlefield is really in the heart and that is the battlefield that we have control over because I I was thinking about in practical terms. So in practical terms, obviously I feel endangered by this whole great reset and merging people with machines. I mean, merging will never happen, but the attempts can be extremely destructive and painful and murderous. So of course it's intimidating, of course it's horrible and I don't want my genes to be edited. I don't want to be like breathing crap. I don't want to I don't want to have foreign stuff in my body that I didn't to choose to have there. But that is all extremely horrifying. But then if certain people of extreme wealth, the wealthiest people of this planet are determined to make it happen? Do I have the power to stop them by writing about them or criticizing them, or, you know, any of those things? Probably not. And I definitely cannot compete with them financially. And even if 50 million people on Facebook condemn transhumanism, I don't think they're going to read that. OK. So but where I think our power is significant is when we, in ourselves and within our closest circles, when we refuse to live by the rules of the spirit of domination, when we eradicate it inside, eradicate it in our own behavior, in our own circles, and when we learn that unglamorous art of patience, that, I think, that's where maybe we have some hope. And that's when a lot of people suddenly or gradually or gradually then suddenly arrive at a state where the evaluation of things happens on that level, like how spiritually solid things are, how spiritually healthy things are, versus whether I've just dominated that person or that group of people. I think that if many of us start walking that route, we do have a chance, and that could be our only route to actually defeat the great Resetters because otherwise they're, you know, they're very rich and powerful. So I could not, have, could not think of any better way, like from as I was thinking about, okay, so how do we actually stop them? And of course, the acts of courage and this protesting and all those things that are in the moment for each person, everybody can figure out what's best for them in this moment. But as a principle, so what, 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 what are your thoughts?
1: Well, I think that the there's a spiritual, for lack of a better word, a a psychological or spiritual attitude that I pretty much maintain. Although I know that there may be 100% uh, likelihood that it will be impossible to stop those people from what they're doing, I still have to approach it as if there's 100% likelihood that I will be able to to collectively with others be successful in stopping what they're attempting to create. And I think that that stance of being able to continue working on it and giving it our very best efforts, despite the possibility that it won't be successful on our part. So what? We can't give into despair and just say, oh, what's the point of even trying because is not gonna work anyway, that would be a formula for failure for sure, right? So we have to have that psychological stance toward our efforts and toward our future to say, yeah, we have to give it every possibility, we have to give it every effort to be able to be that positive influence for a beneficial future and uh, and work very determinedly at it. You know?
0: Well, I actually genuinely believe that we have a chance because I think, you know, all those super billionaires, I mean, they're mere mortals. They wake up in the morning, they cough, they sneeze, they go to the bathroom, they do all those things, and then one day they'll die. I mean, it's, they cannot bypass that. But I think what's critical genuinely is how many of us approach our internals. Because if I think, I think that if we play, Essentially by similar rules, but on a much pettier scale, if we make it about being in control of our surroundings in a forceful manner, or like not engaging in dialogue, or wanting to like suppress certain expression, sincere, sincere ones. I mean sincere expression, then we are kind of being mini transhumanists in a way. And then we're not really helping. I mean. I think that the existential balance is very much in favor of a good resolution, like solid, where the world goes back to the relatively sane state the way it was thousands of years ago, maybe. I mean, people were never perfect, obviously, but relatively sane, comparing to what's like the sickness that we have now. But in order to get there, people have to actually be healthy internally, which a lot of people are not and the society is brutal. Like, it's really trying to not, to to prevent us from being balanced. And, but again, so if we try to fight the people who are about control, which is transhumanists, ultimately, they are about control. I mean, like, all this fancy sci-fi nonsense is one thing, but ultimately, they need to be in control or else they're very unhappy. So we cannot be that, because if we are, on the tiny little scale that is significantly below them, then we are not really fighting them. I mean, like, I don't know.
1: Yeah, I mean, I, I don't know um, what the future holds for any of us, but I know that it makes a lot more sense if we have the values, which uh, I think we share the value of positivity and wanting to create a beneficial future, as I mentioned, so we'll do everything we can while we're here to do that. And the the problem with these uh, other kinds of people, which we've seen all the way from Columbus to Cortez to Balboa to King Ferdinand and Queen Isabella and all the various monarchs and the popes uh, that issued those horrible papal bulls of domination, they believed that their system of domination would exist in perpetuity. And in Latin, they called it perpetua, which means eternally. So they had the idea of domination existing eternally. And so far, they've done a pretty good job of that. So they'll check out, but they will have children and grandchildren, and maybe they will maintain or make the effort to maintain that same way of thinking and behavior. So uh, that, that's kind of the challenge is when you're dealing with the attitudes, values, and beliefs, Uh, and the human experience. It's very difficult to predict uh, any kind of positive future when you have people of such tremendous influence and wealth and power being able to push their agenda. But I think we have to continue to resist that and work toward positivity based upon our own values and understandings, our traditional teachings certainly. And do the best we can while we have the opportunity to do so. And I don't know what more we can do than that.
0: Well, thank you. I agree with you. Well, I think pressures that we are under, maybe their purpose is to make people think about things that we otherwise would not be thinking about. Yeah. That is a nature of social pressure. Like people get more realistic. Or completely, completely checked out. I mean, like, depending on how it goes, but, you know. Right. Yep. Thank you, Uh, Steve.
1: Okay, well, thanks. And
0: uh, I'll be in touch. Okay, thank you. Bye-bye.